Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Namaste, my friends. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you back to the Yoga Revealed podcast. We have been working so hard to share with you some of the most beautiful interviews that have impacted us so profoundly. We're excited to share them with you. Stay in touch by signing up for our newsletter at yogarevealed.com and be eligible to receive trainings, ebooks, and special content from the Yoga Revealed team. Today, I am excited to present to you Steph Schwartz, who has been in the Boulder, Colorado scene for over 10 years, building community through the power of mantra and kirtan through her beautiful harmonium. Tune into this exciting episode as we demystify the chants found in yoga and sharing the stories of how and why we chant to elephant and monkey-headed deities on today's episode of Yoga Revealed. Welcome, my friends, to Yoga Revealed Podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and we hope that you enjoyed this prayer, which we will talk about 
It's a beautiful blue sunny day here in Boulder, Colorado, and I sit across from one of my teachers, an amazing friend in my life who helped me become where I am today. Steph Schwartz, thank you so much for inviting me into your home and sharing with us your path over the last decade in yoga as you have found this amazing form of devotion in bhakti. Thanks for having me, Omi. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. So, Steph, if you could share with us just a little bit of uh, who you are, perhaps for those who don't know you, have never heard your name, and they don't know what bhakti is, can you share with us uh, yoga as it was revealed to you in your life? You know, I guess I started in, two, well, 99, I walked into um, the yoga workshop, and I spent about six years practicing there. Ironically, the very first guy I dated in Boulder was named Govinda, which is funny because you cycle around 10 years later, and all I do is chant to Govinda. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a sign in itself, and I was, um, you know, pretty studious about the Ashtanga practice for about six years. And I remember the first time I walked into the core power yoga, and I remember thinking, why are they just telling everyone to go into crow pose within 10 minutes of the first class? <laughs> but what I appreciated about the practice was there's a lot of variety, and that's what I needed for um, knowing about my personality type. I have more of a propensity towards dabbling in lots of various things. And so I did the teacher training in 2006, and that's how I met you eventually over the years. I managed a few studios, and in 2009, I found Janet Stone, and I ended up doing her very first teacher training, and I remember in her very first teacher training, she was just chanting her heart out, and we were all doing that. It was a big part of what we did. So um, I go home after that 10-day training, and of course, spontaneously, by a harmonium, which ended up sitting in my house for about a year and a half, collecting dust, <laughs> until I had the nerve to start playing it. <laughs> and I dabbled in some various different teachers, and um, it's a, a fairly simple instrument to play. If you get a good quality one, you just use one hand, you pump the bellows, and if I were to sit down with you, I could teach you like three chants within maybe an hour. You'd leave wow. with some chants on the harmonium. But what, it, what um, I was drawn to about it was my um, throat chakra, I know, is uh, my life learning. And my very first day of teacher training in 06 with Core Power, I tried to quit because I my biggest fear was speaking in front of my peers. Like, I'd rather be dead than doing that <laughs> in the casket than up, up at the front doing the eulogy. So I started chanting without the harmonium at first, and then I brought the harmonium in. And now it's just become a big part of my practice. And... What it helps me, as well as the people that take my classes with, is we just drop in. You know, At some point, the mind can't resist what's happening in the moment. And the mind melts into the heart, into the body. And it's just a really quick way to get present, particularly considering a lot of our classes are only you know, like 60 minutes, 75 minutes long in the vinyasa format. What I just love about your classes that, that, that when you bring people together, you spend almost 10 minutes in the beginning and a few <laughs> minutes at the end chanting. Yeah. And it's just such a beautiful space that you create. You know, when, uh, when, when you're playing this, what's going on in your mind, in your heart? Where, where are you when you're mm -hmm. holding this space? Because you're always just so, like, the look on your face is just so, with such conviction. There's so <laughs> much passion, and it's so clear. The hot looking harmonium face. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> I'm glad we're not on video. <laughs> um, you know, we have this saying in Kirtan. It says, this is not the time to bliss out. Because <laughs> really, you are up there as a leader, and you're holding the container for people to feel the deepening into their hearts. Mm. Um, but you have, to, you have to keep your S8 
S-H-I-T together, you know, because you're working on the hands, you're figuring out the tempo with the bellows, you got to remember the stuff that you're singing. Mm. And you also get a sense of where people are at, because when you're doing call and respond, you'll go for a while, wait until they get it, and then you can move on to the next section. Mm. Um, but I do feel a really um, big connection to the, the tone and the vibrations of the harmonium. And if I sing without it, it just doesn't quite feel the same. Mm. It's like the instrument and I definitely become one. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, even though I have that approach of just making sure I have, uh, you know, I'm just aware of what's going on in the room, just like you'd be teaching a class, I know also and I feel also that there's a channeling that's happening. And it feels like um, like this white light coming down through my skull. Mm. And each time I sit down, I pray to um, to the universe or source, God, wherever you want to call it, but just allow me to step outside of ego and just be a channel for grace. And that's how I start my practice mm. <laughs> as a teacher. I think that's just an amazing little nugget for all teachers yeah. to, <laughs> to not bliss out right now. Yes, not the time to bliss not out. Not the time to bliss out. <laughs> you can just try it and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. And you know, over the years, as I've uh, attended some of your kirtans, hey, can you express what kirtan is and how do you allow these deities that we're chanting to, how do you, it's so accessible, how you transmit their, uh, their invocation, what qualities and what characteristics these deities in, bring about within us. You have such an amazing way of sharing the story. How, do you, how, have, how have you found that over the years? You know, I have to actually give credit to Core Power for that because um, they just let me fly under the radar, do my thing, bring the chanting into the classes. And, you know, North Boulder is a very special place, and Boulder is a special place in the Core Power Yoga situation. I think it stands unique and on its own. Um, so I was, my goal was to bring people together in a way that we're all in this together. I'm learning, you're learning, even though I'm on this you know, teaching platform you're and you're in the student platform, I'm still learning and getting stuff from, it's just a container of energy exchange. And then working with people at Core Power, my demographic I soon understood was people who had never done kirtan before. And how was I going to make it completely accessible and draw people into kirtan that probably would have never ever thought about doing it. And kirtan means just call and response chanting. It's a way that we get together and we sing music. And you know, a lot of times you go to a rock and roll concert and you want to be able to sing, but you don't know all the words. And it just feels good to sing. And singing, I like to say, is the shortest umbilical cord to the soul. Hmm. So it gets you connected to you know God, source, universe. And people were experiencing that in my classes. And what was really funny was when I started holding kirtans and marketing them, People who had been chanting with me for four or five years were like, what's a kirtan? <laughs> so obviously I hadn't explained it very well. <laughs> you know, like, let's do some Om Shantis or Om Hariyams. Um, but yeah, people uh, really didn't understand that they were already doing kirtan this whole time. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I wanted to figure out a way to make it super accessible, not overwhelming with the way the vocal melody was going, not overwhelming with the way the words were. And also what I like to do are, you know, is tell the stories in a way that's more um, interesting to people and relatable, like using everyday terms and locations and stuff like that. And I also love to do mashups. So I'll take something like Bob Marley. I mean, you can't really go wrong with him and then write a chant <laughs> inside of that. Or my uh, really um, big hit locally is a Cure mashup, Just Like Heaven. And I threw in the J.M. Bay mantra. 
and um, you know it's just fun to bring the mantras in, put them up like a home movie theater mm. with the pictures of the deities, a mm. very simple explanation, and then the words, and bring in some drummers and some response singers and play around with that. Mm. Having just uh, ended Hanuman Festival and you taught a class. Oh, I assisted Janice. Assisted Janice Stone. That's amazing. Yeah. How was that? It was awesome. That's well, beautiful. and she's like, I love the, her. I, I relate so much to her and the way she brings in the music and the bhakti and, you know, to me she's the real deal. She brings in a lot of the philosophy and the history in a very accessible way. Mm-hmm. And Sunday morning, I don't know if she mentioned, um, but she did a the class was basically two hours of chanting and that was wow. like fun. that was really fun. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're great. excited to have Janet on the podcast as well. She, yeah. It was an amazing interview. Yeah. So having Hanuman just ended. I love your Hanuman story. Can you (laughs) share with us, for me, for listeners who don't know who Hanuman is or his story, which I think maybe many of us don't really know the story of Hanuman. Can you illuminate the story for us? Yes, but just a disclaimer that the story is all us stuff. (laughs) I'm not claiming to be right or wrong. (laughs) So Hanuman, um, half monkey half human you kind of remind me of him you totally have Hanuman <laughs> you're so Hanuman <laughs> he had a big heart and I, I love to tell this story about when he was a little dude and I always say if you or you're familiar with Boulder at all he was just playing around one day in the fields of Chautauqua and he looks up at the sky and he sees the sun but the sun was in that um, orangish yellowish reddish reddish hue it's like those on um, mangoes that you can get from the Philippines or um, Mexico, the bright yellow ones. So he thought the sun was a mango. So he leaps up into the sky. He wants to snag it out of the sky for his um, his afternoon snack. And he starts to tug the sun mango out of the sky. Well, the gods and the goddesses, they all had tempers. It's just kind of how they roll. And the god of the sky, Indra Devi, sees what's happening, and he gets so upset. It's like, that dude is stealing my son <laughs> out of the sky. And so he starts flinging lightning bolts in his rage. And one of the lightning bolts lands and hits Hanuman, and little Hanuman's body goes just tumbling down into the fields of Chautauqua, and he's just lying there lifeless. Well, his father was um, the god of air, or Vayu, and Vayu, in his grief, just starts sucking all of the air out of the universe. And everything starts turning gray and shriveling up and dying. And all of the deities from wherever they were, they're just alarmed. And they come out from where they were, and they're begging Vayu to restore life back to the universe. And he promises just on one condition. And they said, he said, just you know, promise that you'll bring my son back to life. And they agreed. So each one of them touched little Hanuman's lifeless body. And all of a sudden, Hanuman woke up just like he had been you know, in a deep sleep or in a nap. And he had no idea. He had no idea what had just happened. He had no idea that each one of the deities had interacted and connected with him in this way. What was interesting at that point, the moment each one of them touched him, they instilled him with a bit of their powers. Mm. So Hanuman, you might see pictures of him flying around, like holding a mountain in his hand. He looks kind of like Superman. He was actually the most ancient Superman. So Mm. he was the first Superman. So he grows up. He goes to Boulder High. And then he enrolls, um, you know, at CU. And then he's like, well, I'm doing pretty good in this business degree, so I'll go to Leeds. So he starts to go to grad school. And then he gets a good job working in corporate America. And he's like, I don't like this very much. (laughs) Nine to five, sometimes more than that, singing at a desk in front of a computer. I just couldn't handle it. So he starts working out. 
and he gets really big pec muscles and bicep muscles, <laughs> and he's really strong. And he meets Ram, and he meets Sita, and the, the traditional story is in the Ramayana, the story of Hanuman and Ram and Sita. And Ram and Sita, Hanuman, was absolutely devoted to. So Hanuman represents energetically like this way of approaching this path with humility and how we can serve the world best by um, stepping out through a place that is centered around the heart and devotion. Like, what are you devoted towards? What are you anchoring into? What's foundational for your spirit in order to um, make your way out into the world in service of self and service of others? So devotion, humility, and those aspects kicked in a lot right when he met Ram and Sita, and he became captain of the guard and was just living there and, <laughs> and just loving his life with Ram and Sita, two people that he loved most in the world. And Ram and Sita, incarnations of um, Lakshmi and, and Vishnu. So it's the sustaining part of of our existence it's like the breath right so he goes um and he's working one day with ram and sita and ram comes rushing over to hanuman just in in just in tears and he goes he goes sita's been kidnapped by these demons and the demons represent negativity. A lot of times what comes up for you in your practice, I'm not good enough, mm. I wish this, all those conditional statements, if this happened then. So anything that feels grasping and fearful. Well, so the demons had whisked Sita off to these faraway lands and Ram said, Hanuman, I need you to do something for me. I need you to deliver Sita this ring and tell her that I'm building a bridge across the great ocean so I can bring the armies mm. to come and rescue her. And Hanuman says, hold on, I need to go think about this. <laughs> he was so nervous and he was so fearful. He's like, I just, I can't do this great leap across the ocean. It was the splits pose, Hanumanasana. And he's like, I haven't been doing yoga much lately. My hamstrings aren't flexible. <laughs> I hiked Sanitas three times this week. <laughs> so he went to go talk to his buddy, his bear friend. And his bear gives him a hug. And he goes, you know what? Perhaps you're capable of more than you know. And so Hanuman trudges back to Ram. And he's still like quaking in his Uggs and just sweating. And he's like, I really don't think I can do it. And the deeper issue was Hanuman just did not want to let down the person that he loved the most in the world. Mm. You know, it, it, he, he wasn't, in his eyes, he wasn't good enough to be in service of Ram, mm. in service of his heart. And Ram looks at him and, and he goes, you know what? I believe in you. And Hanuman looks in Ram's eyes and he can see how much Ram loves him and believes in him. And his heart filled up and his heart filled up with all of the devotion and this love. And he's like, okay, maybe I can do it. And the moment he decided to step out of that egocentric way of thinking, oh, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, all of that, that's when all of his superpowers kicked in. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was like this propulsion jet and he goes across the ocean and the great splits and delivers the ring to Sita, and she gets rescued. Mm. So then they decide, you know, once she's back, they're going to have, like, a yoga rave. <laughs> it's like, uncha, uncha. And they're having a party, and it's outside, and people are dancing and singing, and Sita gives Hanuman this beautiful necklace of malas. And he looks at it, and he's holding in his, it in his hands. And he starts tearing through it with his sharp monkey teeth and just biting through each bead. Huh. And each bead would just... Um, dissolve into dust and fall on the ground and the necklace was slowly disintegrating and someone challenged him and said how come you're destroying this necklace that has been bestowed upon you as a gift of appreciation 
And Hanuman says, well, because it doesn't hold the essence of Ram or Sita in it. I hold them in my heart, and so it's worthless to me. Hmm. And someone said, show me. So there's another picture of Hanuman kneeling down, and he takes his monkey claws into his chest cavity and rips open his heart. And on this beautiful red beating heart, you see Ram and Sita's face just beating. And the cool thing about it is Hanuman actually, um, even though he's this humble servant, he becomes more powerful than either the two of them stand alone because he is the supreme balance of masculine and feminine energy. And each one of us holds that. We're just constantly looking to balance it out. So how do I'm, I'm very active in the world. I'm out in the world, masculine energy. How do I take time for myself and be out in nature and be more open and receiving? Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> so how, what, what's the message from Hanuman's path into us as sentient beings? Mm-hmm. And how do, what's the message? What's the lesson? The lesson, so to really um, look at on this path different ways to continue to be in your dharma, in your service. How can I better be of service to myself? How can I recognize my radiant light in order to better see the radiant light in other people? Or perhaps finding a meaningful way to move through life. If you're a yoga teacher or doing something else in terms of seva, you know, like that's being in service. And to stay humble on this path to stay in humility, to remember what you're devoted to. And that might change on a daily basis, but I'm devoted to my breath today, or I'm devoted to not only being graceful to myself in my life, but to moving gracefully through other people's lives. And to also remember, so many messages in it, <clears throat> is that each one of us is a badass. Totally. <laughs> you know, you don't need to be jumping out of airplanes or running ultra marathons to be a badass, but to remember that you're, you have superpowers too. And a lot of times we forget that when we're constantly giving out in the world to other people, mm. we forget that we're a badass listener or a mm. badass friend or mm. a badass mother mm. or a badass father and the list goes on mm. you know i love etymology so much because certain words for me in my experience might be different for you in your experience and to you steph what is it to be devoted what is devotion that's a good question a bit loaded <laughs> it is super loaded it's a bit volatile yeah it's completely volatile and i do believe that it can change on a daily basis I um, personally, if I get too stuck in the idea of I have to do this every single day for this amount of times within one month, then it kind of loses its luster and um, yeah, it loses its potency, Mm. its luster and Mm. aliveness in Mm. each moment. So being, um, you know, in the flow of the moment and just asking um, myself what is what is needed to nourish my spirit, Mm. to feed my heart to stay open to creativity because mm. anytime my schedule gets super busy, I'm completely in masculine energy, not balanced with feminine energy, mm. and I'm not writing chants. I'm not singing a lot of music outside of the classes. Like my flows feel like they're getting a little bit more stagnant. Awesome. But to constantly, um, you know, devoted to the practice in every way it's, it's showing up. Do I need to meditate a little bit more? Do I need to create a little more space for myself? Mm. That kind of, yeah. Mm. And you had said that one of the messages from Hanuman is, again, waking up to our dharma and to our, our perhaps purpose, our mission. What if, you know, for many years I, I didn't know what my mission was and I didn't know how to wake up to, you know, how I can be of service, which I think is one of the most simple uh, um, missions that we 
all can share how I can serve you, how I can serve my brother and sister. But say, say we're in this space in our life, for some of our listeners perhaps, where we just don't know what our dharma is or how we can serve. What are some steps, what are some tips that you'd like to offer to individuals in order to make a change, make a difference? Yeah, always when I first meet people, I always ask them, instead of what do you do for work, I always ask them, what are three things you love? Mm. <laughs> and if we can constantly let what we love guide our, guide our you know, path, mm. then that can help open up. And to stay open to possibility, know when you're holding on to something just because it has a great salary or just because you have paid vacation or just because this, just because that. Just to recognize if, if fear is keeping you in or or if you're moving towards love on the path and staying open to possibility. I had no idea that I would go from wanting to quit teacher training because I was absolutely terrified of public speaking to teaching yoga, which still I walk into a room like there are 80 eyeballs staring at me right now. <laughs> Why am I up at the front? This is so weird. <laughs> to playing the harmonium at Kirtan's in front of a microphone, which I still bump my teeth on. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but trusting in the path and just staying open because I feel like the more you stay open, the more um, things present themselves to you. Like, you never thought you'd be in this situation. No, I had no idea. <laughs> it's <all> so weird. <laughs> wow. Yep. Mm. You never know. You never know. So, you know, earlier, this is a good segue, we were talking about scarcity yeah. and abundance. How do you transcend scarcity when you notice it coming up, if it comes up? A lot. <laughs> a lot. And uh, continually attempt... And practice living in the world of abundance. What's that like in your world? Well, I notice when I'm a highly, now that I've learned more about myself, highly sensitive and intuitive type. Um, mm. I can, I deal with, I have a double Scorpio side to me as well, so I go into the depths quite a bit. So I do, I go into scarcity moments quite often. Mm. Um, what I find is um, different tools of yoga to make my help my body feel more open because you know that gripping I usually get an anxiety in my belly or my heart feels mm -hmm. shut down or my throat feels blocked um, just you know teaching out in community is really helpful to me I find teaching yoga way more powerful than actually being in the class and practicing mm. it's a very different experience for me and um, yeah it's very fulfilling so that helps different tools like meditation just sitting down at my harmonium and whatever, whatever you can do to feel more open. It might be a hike out in nature. It could be just hanging out with a friend that there's a balanced relationship of give and receive where you mm. just feel fulfilled and, and nourished after hanging out with them. So just practice different ways to stay open mm. around the scarcity. Yeah. Mm. Comment on uh, you enjoying teaching more. I wonder, is that something that has always been or is that about a chapter right now where you are? Definitely an evolutionary process because I was in that realm of fake it till you make it <laughs> because of my public speaking fears. <laughs> and I would rather be you know, behind the scenes than out front and center. I'm just mm -hmm. not that type of a personality. Mm -hmm. I have an introverted side to me, mm -hmm. a quiet side mm -hmm. that doesn't need to be you know, extroverted and out in the world. Um, so I've spent a lot of years just nervous and calling on Kali, who's the goddess of facing into your fears, 
and she's helped me a lot just get in front of people. Mm. Um, so it's definitely been an evolutionary process. And I feel even now, like after 10 years, I still have nervous moments, but I'm starting to feel comfortable. Mm. More comfortable with teaching. What yeah. are three tips that you'd offer those who embrace or feel so intimidated by public speaking? Find a grounding mantra, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy in Sanskrit. It could be something simple like, I'm here to serve, or I am empowered, or I am releasing these fears. And I was using, always using something right before I teach. So that was before I walked into the classroom. That was really helpful. And now the harmonium is more of my mantra and using the, um, using the chanting is very helpful in that way. Mm. I would also say um, just practice as much as you can. Get out there. Mm -hmm. I found when I was managing, I wasn't teaching as much, and my teaching was suffering for it. And the more I started teaching, the easier it got. So especially if you're a sensitive or sensitive intuitive type, the more you can practice it, the easier it gets. Mm. Yeah, and also, you know, find a mentor or someone that you can lean on and be like, hey, this really sucked. (laughs) And they'll say, no, it didn't. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's nice to have someone to lean into that understands, has been through it, and Mm -hmm. you can just offload Mm. some of those burdens. I remember a long time ago, I went up, I came up to you and I was like, Steph, I feel nervous teaching. And you had Mm -hmm. offered me, I don't know if you remember, uh, this mudra. The yeah. ring finger and the middle finger touch your thumb, and then the other fingers. And I know you like to call it the Slayer Mudra. <laughs> the Slayer Mudra. <laughs> it looks it, like you're rocking out to Slayer. It does. <laughs> I have taught with this Mudra for so long when I feel ungrounded still to this day. And so that's something that's worked for me. Yeah, well, that's called Apana Mudra. Apana mudra. So Apana is grounding. That's what's the exhale. That's the energy of the exhale. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's great. So, in a comment mudra. of Kali. Yeah. We've heard the word Kali, and we have an image of Kali, skulls and heads being held. Can you tell us her, her story? Yeah, one of her stories, um, a la Steph. <laughs> so Kali, <laughs> Kali is the goddess of, of, of destruction. She's much just like Shiva, and she's his counterpart. And there's Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, which is beginning, middle, and end. Shiva comes in at the end and slices through the stale attachments, old patterns, um, these debilitating stories that we're actually ready to let go of. And in the space that's left behind, and it calls in Brahma or new beginnings. So she's that feminine energy associated with endings that calls in new beginnings. And I like to talk about Kali as the force, it's not just the waves that wash up along the shore and and move away all the debris. She's the force of the monsoon that comes mm. in and wipes out the dilapidated structures and it's completely a clean slate that you can start over again. She's also associated with loss, you know, how we all end up leaving our bodies and and that um, that feeling, that void that exists after that. But also there's a freedom in, in being relinquished of the grasping and of the attachments. So she teaches us how to soften around attachments so the loss doesn't feel as, as poignant when mm. things move away and out of our, out of our worlds. She's a badass. She wears a necklace of skulls, and she has a skirt of arms, like chopped off arms with their hands hanging around, and 
usually has a chopped off head and one of her hands. <laughs> and Durga, um, who um, was created by Rama Vishnu Shiva, she's the one that you'll see with many arms and weapons and riding in on a tiger. And she's um, the fierce warrior goddess who acts, asks us in times that are where we're most triggered to practice compassion, to practice kindness. So that person that you want to throttle that drives you up a wall. <laughs> you're like, all right, so how can I how can I remember them as a baby and, and just be kind and soften a little bit towards them? So Kali and Durga come hand in hand. So Durga was created because a demon was attacking the universe and Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva heard a rumor that this demon was undefeatable except for by a woman. So they created Durga and each one of them gave her little bits and pieces of them. So Durga was fighting yet another battle of demons, again, representing negativity, and with this great demon named Raktabija. And what was happening, it was kind of like that movie Gremlins. Every time she slayed this demon, his blood spilled, and these little gremlin demons would multiply. So every time any blood spilled. And so Durga's weapons were completely useless. And it just, she was just surrounded by this cesspool of demons. So she started getting really mad. And the more mad she got, the more her brow furrowed. And the more mad she got, the more her brow furrowed. And at the point of greatest rage from her third eye, out pops Kali. So Kali, <laughs> dark mother, like hot black skin. I always imagine her in like a leopard print, you know, bikini, Brazilian bikini or whatever. <laughs> She's like strutting around looking at the situation. <laughs> and she decides what she wants to do. And just like little popcorn, she just pop, starts popping all of the demons into her mouth. You gotta love a girl with a good appetite, right? <laughs> she's eating away, eating away, and just enjoying herself. And she's winning this battle because no blood was spilling on the ground. Well, what starts to happen is kind of like we all get jacked up on kale in Boulder. <laughs> She goes into this feeding frenzy and she starts doing this this crazy dance, just like eating and eating everything. And she starts feeding off of everything, not just the negativity, not just the demons, but just everything around. And it's this crazy, mad dance. And so the theaters are like, oh my God, what do we do now? And Shiva realized that he was, pro he was the only one that could pacify her. So you see a lot of depictions of her um, standing on Shiva. That was his choice. She's in this feeding frenzy and this crazy dance, just manic dance. And he lies down underneath her feet. And the moment she sets foot on him and she feels his energy because she was so imbalanced, like so in this in this mindset of just, I got to eat, I'm Kali, I'm doing this. The moment she sets her foot on him, she gets calm. Mm. And he brought her back to balance and she wakes up from, from the madness. Yeah, so you see a lot of pictures of her standing on top of Shiva, who looks like he's sleeping or, you know, taking a nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that was his choice, and that was how he was able to bring balance back into the universe because it was getting right. pulled to that other polarity of just this crazy energy of Kali. Was that self-sacrifice? Self-sacrifice in a way, yeah. I guess you could look at it like that. Like offering self yeah. to help. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that cool. could have been his dharma. Wow. <laughs> so the message and the lesson of Kali, what, when we're feeling a certain way, what is that way where we can call on Kali? When, when, is it, when is it in our life when we're looking to call on Kali? I use the um, analogy of 
she's that feeling if you've ever been on a high high diving board or you've jumped out of an airplane <laughs> both of you <laughs> many times yep <laughs> you know that feeling you're like i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do yeah. it okay and then she's that finger that flicks you out of the airplane or off the high dive <laughs> she asks us to face into our fears mm. and a lot of times when we face in we realize that the mind created this exaggerated dramatic story of how fearful it was and it really wasn't as bad as we thought and going into our fears i mean there's so much opportunities to grow when we're facing in and we could give in and not even go that go that mm. direction mm. you know but a lot of times when we're willing to take that leap across the the chasm mm-hmm. towards personal growth and mm-hmm. transformation we begin to realize that we might not have a parachute but there's also not a ground either <laughs> the facing into our fears and also um, softening our grip around attachments. You know, some harder than others. My dog Boogie, highly attached. Harmonium, not so much. <laughs> I could lose mm. the harmonium and be cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. So how can we soften our grip knowing that she she exists in, in everything? Like she is the ending. Mm. Everything has a beginning, middle, and end. Mm. Everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that's that's guaranteed. Yeah. When uh, you said harmonium and softening the grip, at least in my experience, the moment you start pumping the the harmonium, I notice the story of whatever I'm in the room walking in with, it becomes just a little less absorbed and intense. And I think that this, I think many people could resonate with this for those who have been to Kirtan where it's the vibrational sound, Mm. you know? So what is it about that moment and how is it that we can take that moment when we are tuning into the chant and tuning into the vibration and this story is dissolving into sometimes just non-existence? How can we take this into our lives out there in conversations when the triggers arise? What's that practice like? I would say to sing because I think mm. whether it's chanting, <laughs> whether it's gospel music, <laughs> whether it's you know heart heavy metal, I would say to <laughs> to sing because it just gets you connected to your heart, <clears throat> mm. you know. And then you have this ability to just be more soft and less attached to the stories, and and that could be your tool, like your practice of yoga, bhakti, or devotion. Um, where it's more of a mainstream accessible way of accessing it, but really a quick way of accessing Mm. the way you feel in your body and in your Mm. heart. But to just be in that question of, okay, how do I feel? What helps me feel open in my heart? What Mm -hmm. helps me feel more spacious in my body? What helps Mm. me feel less heady or just Mm. stuck in my mind or my to-do list or my schedule, you know, going from one thing to another? Mm. What helps you stay in your heart? Uh, chanting, absolutely, absolutely. for sure. We know that. <laughs> um, teaching and mm. the way that I teach, I know, with building community, is it's just been really fun. And mm. and the all levels flow in meditation classes right now that I have that you subbed one for me. But that's a really powerful practice. It's been really fun just bringing people together and getting them vibrating <laughs> through sound mantra or whatever it might be, just different variations of mantras and mudras and meditation practices. Mm. Yeah, and skydiving helps a lot. <laughs> Talk about that at the end. <laughs> yeah. But um, can you share with us what is a mudra and what is mudra looking to bring into our experience and why? Why do we want to use mudra? 
in our practices. Mudra, it's, it, I was just writing um, some content for the filming that I'm doing on mudras. And mudra is um, a simple gesture or an energetic lock. Commonly you'll see them with hands and it can direct energy. For instance, I showed you Slayer Mudra or Apana Mudra, which has the energy of grounding. So anytime you're exhaling, you can feel that quality of Apana. And so when you hold that Mudra, it just triggers the mind, the body, to just drop in and to feel more grounded. The Mudra can also be done with the gaze. There's Shambhavi Mudra, which is a simple gaze to the third eye. So different gestures with the face, or I like to say in, um, when we're in reclining bound ankle pose with hand to heart, hand to belly, that in itself is a mudra as well. You know, simple mudras like Anjali Mudra, Prayer Mudra, Hands to Heart Center. Mm. They can be different ways to access different energetic qualities. Mm. Get grounded with a pana, open your heart with your palms face up, feel how everything's drawing back to center in Prayer Mudra and Anjali Mudra. So stop and drop yoga, you could just pull out a mudra from your mudra toolbox and if someone's driving you crazy or you know, any, if you're feeling really tugged off of your center and mm. just see what happens when you just take a moment to really recognize the way the fingers feel touching against each other mm. or the way the hands feel pressed in prayer in front of your heart mm. or the way one hand feels on your heart and the other hand feels to cover it. It can be a quick, pretty quick shift mm. energetically. Yeah. Beautiful. So I'm looking at the, this mural of uh, Mr. Ganesh. Yep. And can you share with us his story? I think I, I love hearing your stories, and I believe some of our listeners enjoy the stories of demystifying uh, these deities that we hear so much about in yoga. So Ganesh. Ganesh yeah. My mural is a um, slightly obscure version of Ganesh. <laughs> I wanted like an Asian gangster version, so he has like a do-rag <laughs> and a hat, baseball hat, and some nunchucks. And he's eating guacamole instead of sweets. <laughs> so a lot of times, Ganesh, you see, he's this happy-go-lucky guy. He's, you know, he's a dude you want to hang out with and go to happy hour with or go on a hike with. And he's someone that you'd probably call in a pinch. You know, he's very jolly, and he represents energetically um, several things. First, he's um, the Lord of New Beginnings. So he's invoked often, often, often in the Hindu um in the Hindu lineages to start off new ventures. But it could be said that each time that we're taking a new breath in, that that's a new beginning. Mm. Um, so it can be very poignant just to bring in this quality of, okay, here I am, I'm starting fresh. The cool thing about the new beginnings, though, is they're the beginnings that exist in the middle of everything, if that makes sense. So if you can think of a circle, and you can't even discern where the beginning of the circle is and where the end. It's like Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, beginning, middle, end. Mm. Ganesh is in there too. It's these beginnings that are unfolding exponentially in the middle of every moment. Wow. <laughs> and um, he's also the remover of obstacles. Mm -hmm. So he allows us to see. I always talk about him in terms of if you're hiking on a single track trail and there's this big, huge tree that's blocking the trail. Well, you could either just say, forget it, I'm turning around and just dissing the hike. He also comes in and helps us find different ways. You know, I'll climb underneath, I'll climb over, I'll walk all the way around, and then you continue forward on this path of growth, transformation, personal 
um, exploration. So he helps us understand and see the obstacles that are coming up and helps us find different ways around them. Most of the time, we begin to see more clearly that it's ourselves that's getting in the way of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really cool how he shows us that. And um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so we chant to Ganesha quite often, um, oh, for grounding and centering. So he's mm. associated also with the root chakra, Muladhara mm. chakra. And he is earthy, and he helps us find our center through this process of, um, you know, exploring these different ways that we're showing up as obstacles for ourselves. Mm. Or, okay, I'm going to step into this new beginning. Wait, I'm scared. I can't do it. Okay, no, we're going to go. I'm going to get centered. I'll center into what's important for me. I'll center physically in the body. I'll center physically through a mudra or through the breath, and then I'll continue to move forward. He's also very, um, you know, childlike, and he asks us in each moment to, you know, be curious and to feel wonder mm. in each moment. Playful. Yeah, yeah playful. Mm-hmm. How did he get that, that elephant head? What's that story? <laughs> um, well, one variation of the story, <laughs> he was uh, Shiva and Parvati. So Parvati was one of Shiva's ladies. And Shiva was known as the great meditator. So he would fit in really well in Boulder. He had long dreadlocks. <laughs> He'd go sit up on mountaintops and meditate for many, many hours and days and years on end. And Parvati, um, she was kind of annoyed at Shiva. She's like, I'm ready to start a family. And he goes, well, I need to go off and meditate. <laughs> And so he's like, we'll talk about this when I get back. And she's kind of annoyed because she knows that she has no idea when he's going to get back. (laughs) Well, he disappears and goes up onto the mountaintop. And she, being the strong woman that she was, decides that she's just going to create her own kid. <laughs> so I like to envision that she just picked up a handful of dust and then and threw it up into the air. And then as the dust fell down, it shaped the son, mm. Ganesha. And so she had Ganesha, and he grows up, and he's maybe 11 or 12 years old. And all the while, Shiva's meditating. And Ganesha was hanging out at the, the compound, and Shiva comes home one day, unannounced, of course, carrying his trident. And he sees this, this being in his house, and he thinks it's an intruder. So he chops off the intruder's head. And Parvati comes running out, and she is so furious. And she goes, you just chopped our son's head off. <laughs> she was like, I had no idea who's our kid. She's like, well, you didn't call. <laughs> you didn't text. You didn't email <laughs> while you were meditating. And she goes, you better fix this. So he goes outside, and he's just shaking his head. And he's like, I got to make this right. And this elephant's walking by and, and asks Shiva what was wrong. And Shiva tells him. And the elephant goes, well, I'll donate my head to the cause. Oh. <laughs> so he gives him his head and plops it on the body, the human body of little Ganesh. And it's cool, though, because he has these big ears, and it said that his ears are meant to hear the needs of his people. Mm. And a lot of times you'll see him holding an, an axe in his hand, which is his way of showing that he can help remove obstacles. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that You're story. You're welcome. <laughs> awesome. So with all these deities that you've shared, when you have new students come into your classroom, how do you offer this uh, ancient wisdom in the accessible manner, which I think everyone can understand now how accessible you allow this to be through storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's not you're not using too many Sanskrit words unless you're chanting, chanting. 
how do you uh, you know how do you approach the experience of discomfort that may be arising for your students and how do you hold that space well I like to remind people that on the other side of awkward is awesome and <laughs> that <laughs> it is the role of us as teachers as you well know it is our duty to make our students uncomfortable. Now there's mm. different levels of that, mm. but it's like Gyan Mudra, one you know, translation of it is index finger touches to your thumb. And I like to talk about this as the index finger being ego or fire and the thumb being source. And it's the friction of learning that happens when ego is rubbing up against source. And much like a snake, the snake skin, when it's shedding its skin, it has to rub up against something. It needs to find a rock or bark or whatever to rub up against in order to shed that old skin, in order for the new skin to grow. So on the other side of awkward is awesome. There's always a friction of learning. Um, with chanting, if I'm in a new place and I haven't, and I'm not familiar with the large amount of the student base, what I like to remind people is that when we chant and sing together, whether it's we're rocking out at a concert or in in the cl- in the studio singing mantra, that our brain waves connect really fast. Mm. So the whole room is getting connected brainwave wise. And then by the end of the chant, our heartbeats are synced up. So it's like one big beating heart in the room. Mm. You know, and I remind them, shortest umbilical cord to the soul. And then to de- demystify the deity aspect, if I'm not spending time on the stories, really when we chant to the deities, it's um, like the Sanskrit alphabet is meant to be experienced. When you look up any of these mantras, there's a plethora of of um, meanings, mm-hmm. meaning there's not just one meaning. It's interpreted many different ways because it's meant to be experienced and felt. So I remind people that when we're chanting to the different deities, it's just a way of waking up certain energies in the heart. So Ganesha, how do we get centered in the body? How do we get centered in the heart? Shiva, how do we look at some of the old stuff that's showing up for us, the debilitating narratives of not enough or I'll never be able to do this? Um, with Krishna, how do we learn where we're grasping onto stuff and how can we continue to open our hearts in, in more of an unconditional way towards self-love? So I try to make it accessible in that sense. Mm. And then if they don't like it, then they won't come to my classes. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's okay. cool. I know. Some people just aren't ready for it. And, you yeah. know, we can't, we can just speak from an authentic place. And in that way, we're not needing to prove ourselves out into the world we're not needing to prove anyone else wrong. And, you know, the people will come and go. And, Just you know, doing you. Yeah. That's yep. beautiful. Totally. <laughs> awesome. If you could, um, just a few more questions. Share with us this other passion that I know that you love ever so much of uh, jumping out of airplanes. Yeah. Why? It's totally yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. How it's is it totally yoga? It's totally Hanuman. <laughs> Hanuman's in my chart. <laughs> so it's Hanuman, it's Shiva, it's Ganesh, it's earth, it's sky. It's all the elements, and um, I love it. It's my cosmic sky bath, I call it. I get a complete control-alt-delete in my nervous system. <laughs> <laughs> you've done it it's like whoa it's amazing it's amazing you're completely present totally you are totally responsible for yourself I've never felt so um, free in my whole mm. life and the thing is is I can that blissful state that I feel when I'm chanting I feel it when I'm skydiving and I can access it pretty quickly just because you know I remember like it's just so dramatic being you know flying through air mm-hmm. And it's also, it's, it's so much growth for me because I'm fairly athletic and it's one of the hardest sports I've ever done. It takes, wow. you have 45 seconds to work on whatever you're working on with these other people. 
and then the time's up. You know, so I have almost 450 jumps, but if you just say awesome. 450 times 50 seconds, that's barely any time in, yeah. in free fall. Wow. Yeah, so it just it sets my brain straight. It gives me um, balance. Like I, I go up to the drop zone, and there are any yoga people up there. <laughs> and it just feels like more like the real world of people drinking Red Bulls <laughs> and swearing a lot. <laughs> With this little yogi wearing her cool tights. Yeah. <laughs> and then I come back to my yoga world, and it's yeah, it brings a lot of balance for me. And I also, you know, you're away from the world. You're removed, you know. There's a, that song, Free Fallen, by Tom Petty. There's one line, and it, it says, I'm going to free fall out into nothing. I'm going to leave this world for a while. And that's that's really sums it up for me. Mm. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Did you feel any of that when you I, did I did. I mean, I feel like I've, I've jumped out of a plane four times. Four My times. My favorite one was in Hawaii. We need to get you an AFF now. <laughs> I know. We need to do that. I want to jump by myself. It's time. It's totally time. Okay. And uh, I've always felt that like when I'm falling, I just like could zoom out and like see myself falling through the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then uh, thankfully I'm not fully responsible because I'm attached to another human being. Yeah. So he's the one who gets to pull. She can keep your eyes closed. I keep my eyes closed or keep my eyes open. I, I, I experienced fear just that first time. And then the second, third, and fourth, I'm just like, yes, let's yeah. go. It's and so that's Kali right there because it's the same thing as you do. You're so afraid. And then you do it. And, you know, like when I used to run ultra marathons, I remember the first time I crossed the line of 100 and it was brutal. Mm. The next ones that I did the idea of, of not finishing was not even a possibility, mm-hmm. even though like I had some of the hardest races ever. But again, that's very much Kali energy, so I'm going to face into it, I'm going to do it, I'll persevere, and then open up to exponential possibility, Beautiful. which is kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for that insight. Sure. Totally. <laughs> so, can you give us just, our last question is three golden tips, three gems nuggets that you could offer to our listeners as they carry forward on their path being human being yogis practitioners it's a good question three little (laughs) nuggets well it just sounds so trite to say follow your heart and do what you love that kind of stuff but to really keep questioning if you Mm. find something that feels that feels true and passionate to you don't just say, okay, this is it. Just stay open to the possibility of something else coming along. And as much as you can, just continue moving forward on the path, knowing that there will be some twists and turns and some you know, backtracking and stuff like that. Um, you know, community is, is kind of a big deal. And on the same breath, in terms of community, just getting to know yourself better because I kept thinking I needed to be out there, out there, out there in community, but I also was not taking time for myself. And so finding ways to get to know yourself and knowing how you need to be balanced because each one of us is completely different in our needs. 
You know, some of you may like to get up early and do all of that stuff in the morning. I'm not that much of an early morning person. <laughs> and some of you might just be extroverted and thrive and get energy from being in crowds. I personally don't. Like, it's, you know, to figure out how to balance out what I'm putting out into teaching mm-hmm. and what I'm taking back for myself. So finding a balance between giving and receiving can mm. be really important, especially in the yoga world, because we tend to be overextended and mm. overgiving and overgiving. So getting to know yourself could be a really powerful practice. Um, you know, and finding something that's outside of the yoga scene. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That, um, I, that, that was just important for me, too. I, mean, I needed to, I need to be, have some time to go do that skydiving stuff or, you know, be out in nature. I think that's a really important way to bring balance between the masculine and the feminine energies. I just picked up rock climbing, so that resonates. Oh, nice. That's cool. Sweet. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for those little gems, Steph. You're and welcome. The Boulder community, I'll speak for everyone. They're, we are so blessed to have <laughs> this, uh, this uh, little gateway of uh, bhakti that we can experience through the creative chants that you develop and that nice. you practice. Thank, Thank you. you so much. <laughs> Would you close us out with like 30 seconds to a short minute of, of the harmonium? Sure. Let's do a Govinda chant. <laughs> Namaste. Yoga Revealed community, thank you for listening and absorbing all the information we are sharing with you. If you want to practice with Steph and you're ever in Boulder, Colorado, check out mandalamonkey.com for a class schedule. Steph teaches various classes at the Yoga Pod and at the Little Yoga Studio. Also, if you have an interest to teach yoga by mentioning the podcast with Steph to any Yoga Pod studio location in America, you are eligible to receive 10% off of their Seva teacher training program. A true gift it is to step into the practice of serving others. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes from the Yoga Revealed team. We have some truly beautiful and powerful interviews coming up to share with you very soon. Until next time, enjoy the summertime. Love your practice and shine bright, my friends. Namaste. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.